Welcome, nerdy knights of the well-rounded table to Bohemian Geek Studies, where we take extremely dorky dives into our favorite fandoms. I'm Queen of Queries and Defender of Droids, Sarah O'Connor. Hello, hello. Hello there. I'm Colleen McMillan. (laughs) Yes, I could be a general, I suppose. Jedi Master and Rebel Scum collaborator. And I am Pirate Jedi, Anders Drew. We truly run the gambit here in terms of rank, but no matter what rank you carry, dear listener, one thing remains constant for us all. Much to learn we still have. Very true. So last time on Bohemian Geek Studies, we started our look at Sabine Wren. We took kind of a brief look at women in Star Wars history and examined Sabine's role as a warrior. Today, we're continuing with that detailed dorky dive, um, looking at Sabine's role as an engineer. And I would also say also looking at the engineer role in general, which I think is really, really cool. It's almost like Sabine's a case study for us in a way. Andy. Yeah, yes. I think that's very true. Yeah. So as always, this episode contains spoilers for all of Star Wars Rebels. So if you haven't watched it yet, Colleen may hunt you down and force you to do that, but <laughs> like go watch it. <laughs> yes, go watch it. Come back. Never. And yes, if I would. you have, grab a drink from the cantina, sit back and unwind as we engage your mind exploring this magnetic Mandalorian. And with that being said, let's punch it. Perfect. All right, Colleen, everybody. Kick us off. Here we go. Sabine, as we've said, serves as the engineer on the ghost. She's the one with the most expertise in this area, besides Hera, because it's Hera's ship, and maybe Chopper. We're going to say Chopper probably knows how to fix the ghost pretty well. Certainly the Um, insides and the outsides of the ghost, if you know what I mean. Yes, they have to deal with the ship's maintenance, but Sabine is really, really good at this. She's excellent at it. She's also an expert in explosives. Yes, she is. (laughs) <laughs> so great. All she her does so many cool so ones. Great. She loves to blow stuff up. She's like the soul sister to our bad batch. Yes. Voice. <laughs> um, she's also an expert in weapons, weaponry, and basic starship repair, like we said, as well as an innovative weapons designer, which we'll go into in just a minute. Mm-hmm. She's a very naturally curious person, which we love. She's always eager to learn. When asked why she left the Imperial Academy, her first response is, quote, they don't like it when you ask questions. Which is totally normal in the military, though I love questions, and I have to say that I love that this is one of several reasons why Sabine decides to leave. I think that's fantastic. You don't, you yeah, go. Sabine. I mean, I I absolutely understand that being like a military thing, but she was in like the engineering R and D type stuff, where that's really all you should be doing is asking questions. Should because you're should. trying to discover <laughs> and push things forward. So. Yeah, you don't Those want to blow there. things up when you're not supposed to be blowing things up. Yeah. Also, we're digging even further in. While trying to escape from Agent Callus after recruiting Captain Rex, Rex to the Rebellion, it's <laughs> Sabine who is tasked with repairing the Phantom. Yep. This is the little ship, the little mini ship that's like the shuttle for the Ghost in time mm-hmm. to make the getaway. And everyone trusts her to do this. Like, Kanan and Ezra don't even bother. They just know that Sabine's going to be able to do it. Imagine Ezra trying to fix something. Yeah, right. And I also just think it was like, it's like such a small, like, if you're not really looking for it, you'll miss it moment. But just the amount of trust that they have in her there, where Mm -hmm. they just like look at her and they're like, Sabine, we got to get out of here. Do it. Mm -hmm. And she's like, like, on it. it. I got this. I got this, gentlemen. This is going to be fine. 
Um, the ship's engine took a hit in the fight with the Imperial probe droid that had been stalking them, and Sabine's statements are about how she needs to fix it. Later, while under direct attack, mm-hmm, Kanan just looks at her like, and who said, and said, we need the Phantom to fly. <laughs> <laughs> Good Lord, please, we need it to fly. And she said, I'm on it. Um, it's just, she works really well under pressure, and everyone looks to her with no questions. And mm-hmm. it's how old is she here? Can do you know Colleen roughly? 16, 17. Wild. Yeah, it's season two. She's only about seventeen at that point. Yeah. Okay. Cool. 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 What so about she's in the genius level at this yeah. very young age? Yeah. Of course, she got kicked out of the academy younger. A so. total prodigy. What about in the mm-hmm. season three mm-hmm. finale? Yep. It's her skills that allow the rebels to install a shield generator at Chopper Base. Based on the generator they found during the episode, uh, Ghost of Geonosis, part one and two. Yes, and even before that, back when they were on Geonosis, like, recovering that, there's this whole sequence where she and Zeb are kind of, they're trying to retrieve this generator core, because they're like, mm-hmm. they notice it, and Sabine's like, I can install that back on Adalon. And they're going, but there's these, all these deactivated droidecas and destroyers around, so they have to that all get activated Mm -hmm. and Sabine just in the moment is able to adapt this thing from being a generator that protects probably something the size of a city Mm -hmm. to just doing their local area like the five feet around them to shield her and Zeb. Very impressive. And she does that on the fly as all these droids are waking up and it's just really really cool to see. Yep yep and then she's gone at this point back trying to help Mandalore, but after successfully getting the shield up and running back on Adalon, she basically saves them. She saves the rebellion because of the shield. They're like, this is Sabine's baby. Hopefully it works. I'm like, hopefully? What do you mean, hopefully it's going to work? This is when Thrawn, Admiral, Grand Admiral Thrawn, is bombarding the base. Um, and she's not on site. She's just not there, so they're, they're still very confident in her. It's <laughs> stated very plainly by Zeb and Hera. Hera says, quote, this is really Sabine's baby, quote, the sh- then it should work. Yeah. I mean, it's just trust. It's trust. Mm-hmm. It's just it's trust. trust in her abilities in everything that she's able to do. Mm-hmm. What um, about Anders, uh, the heroes of Mandalore? Yeah. So actually just after all that, so now we're into the first two episodes of season four, Heroes of Mandalore. Um, Sabine's on a mission. Um, she's brought Ezra and the ghost crew to free her father from an Imperial prison. And we finally get the full story behind the guilt she was expressing. Um, we discussed in our last episode during Trials of the Darksaber. Yeah. So back when she was a cadet, Sabine um, developed a weapon that would work against Mandalorians by kind of energizing the Beskar armor that Ooh. is unique to Mandalore and use it against them. So it would kind of energize them, basically cooking and vaporizing the Mandalorian soldiers from the inside out without touching any of the Imperial troops. Mm -hmm. And this is obviously something that is weighing on her because she developed it, but then they actually... Just a light little weight. Just a light little weight. weight. (laughs) This is ultimately one of the things that made her leave the Empire um, because she realized she had this kind of like attitude about it that she was like doing it just to kind of see if she could yeah to see if she could solve this she problem really and develop this thing further ahead of and like, then she saw the empire actually use it 
to help subjugate Mandalore. Mm -hmm. um, and it's this absolutely tragic thing. I actually saw kind of a connection here. Um, we see a bit of this same type of an arc in Star Wars Resistance, which is a much lesser known, lesser watched animated show. Not as good, but I think it still has its moments. Mm -hmm. But we do have the character Tam, who in season two has joined up with the First Order and is slowly coming to this realization all the way throughout that season that the First Order is kind of not what she thought it was and realizes she has to get out. Mm -hmm. So it was really interesting to see them revisit that same type of an arc and actually let us see it play out rather than just in hindsight. Mm -hmm. yeah. Right, right. Um, but back like on all of the rebel yeah. defectors, kind of. Like kind what? of, yeah. We always see them like right at the end. We don't get to see them coming to that mm -hmm. in, in real time. Yeah. So Sabine ultimately does sabotage this weapon after... Um, turning it on the Imperials, doing a little bit of light torture, just, just a just little bit. Just a little bit of light. <laughs> just, a little, just a little bit of torture to kind of get her point across. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, but, you know, she's brought back from the edge. They destroy the weapon and all of the associated data so that the Empire can't rebuild it. Mm -hmm. um, and I don't know about you guys, but to me, like, this whole, this whole arc with this weapon... It kind of reminded me a little bit also of like Jurassic Park where you've got mm -hmm. Jeff Goldblum being like, you know, they were so obsessed with they could, they didn't stop to think if they should. They should. Exactly, exactly. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of scientist characters like this who are trying to make breakthroughs and they don't see how it could play out. Like a lot of times like, look at my great invention. This is what it does. And then someone else takes it and twists it into a weapon that they had not foreseen it being. This yeah. happens a lot. It was in the new She-Ra show, and Trapta kind of is like this, kind of going through everything for science's sake and not looking at the consequences of their actions. Or like Alphonse's quest and Edward's quest in Full Metal Alchemist to mm -hmm. try and get the Philosopher's Stone. At least those precious, precious boys eventually decide, spoiler alert, cost may not be worth it. Mm -hmm. It's one of the rare instances, I think, think you kind of see that play out in a different way but that mm -hmm. kind of shortcuts it all but 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 what is abundantly clear at least in the star worlds the star wars world <laughs> say that three times <laughs> is that we have a brilliant engineer with a specialty in weapons development and sabine shows her proficiency and proclivity for blowing stuff up as well and i I wonder, you two are infinitely better than I am. Where was Seamus Finnegan, you know, from Harry Potter? Was, where did his character temporally, did he happen after, at least in the oh, way before? Portrait? No, he was way before. Way so before. Star Wars Rebels was like 2014. And the Sorcerer's Stone is like 2000. Sorcerer's Stone movie is 2001. I feel like it's such an easy gimme delight to just have things explode in a safe, controlled kind of <laughs> right? kind of way, or at least yes, against who does the not enemy. love blowing stuff up? Yeah, even if they're stormtroopers. But again, just a little bit of light torture, <laughs> light so, murder, light torture. Only looking a right at him, being like, "This won't kill you." Now, now I will say though. And, and speaking now, as opposed to when Rebels first came out, I'm already almost starting to take for granted 
how new and special Sabine was in a particular way. Mm -hmm. So Anders, why don't you kind of start talking a little bit about the traditional roles and maybe how right. Sabine breaks so, them a little bit. Mm -hmm. So the, the two types of things that we've talked about so far today, the kind of the mechanic engineer and the explosives expert are things that are almost exclusively usually male characters. You've got that classic kind of grease monkey ships, ships mechanic in the overalls or the big brawny demolition guy. I mean- With the chest sorry, hair think, spilling out. There, you yeah. mentioned, I think, or one of you mentioned earlier, the um, the Bad Batch, which yeah. obviously those are all clones. So obviously yeah. they're all men anyway, but the explosives, right. the explosives guy is the bigger, like muscly, hulking sort of guy so <laughs> to have that be kind of petite sabine yet strong is definitely kind of breaking some traditional mindsets which is really really cool it's really refreshing to see a woman who does embody all of those characteristics yeah um and on the kind of engineer side you know a female techie quote-unquote is not yeah. really new you know there was Kaylee in Firefly mm -hmm. who had this kind of really natural yeah. instinct for ship's mechanics yeah uh, and and like Winry her. and Full Metal Alchemist certainly knows her way around I mean Edward and Alphonse trust her and rely upon her exclusively when it comes to what they need I'm not to take your word on that one Sarah I, just, I promise I am gonna watch Full Metal Alchemist you better and I cannot <laughs> wait I've never seen the whole thing, so uh, I also need to watch the uh -huh. whole thing. So, good. I've seen it so there's there. also, you know, on several other very long-running shows, you have the character that's the the techie in the van yeah. kind of mm. trope character, um, yep. like Chloe on Smallville, Penelope on Criminal Minds, Felicity on Arrow, and don't get me wrong, I love all of those characters, mm -hmm. and they're always fun, and they're always great, but every single time there's like at least one episode or an arc that involves oh, them, God. those characters falling into being the damsel in distress that has yeah. to get rescued by the warrior yeah. man in some way. You know, even some of the stronger characters who do that trope, you've got like Willow on Buffy, mm -hmm. Velma on Scooby-Doo, or still not over this, Charlie on Supernatural. Mm -hmm. <laughs> See, I would have some words with Eric Kripke about yeah. Charlie. Charlie they they don't get spared from that they still end up being helpless in some way and so that really sets Sabine apart that she's not a fan of the the word for this but she's allowed to be a brilliant engineer and a capable warrior and Anders let me ask you this before you continue I know we talked about representation in our first video about Sabine, but with respect to all of these other engineers, at least the ones that I recognize from memory, from what I've seen, are white. Are are they're almost all they're almost, almost all exclusively, exclusively white. Yeah. yeah, I mean the white mm -hmm. um, dress. How there many? There was there's an Asian American actress on the show Scorpion that mm -hmm. is falls like into Sabine. This Okay. She's rarely in danger. She's the one who's always helping get the boys out of danger, which is kind of a nice change. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Predominantly, they were pretty much white. Okay, predominantly, cool. they get yeah, that this does end up being a white. Actually, I think for all the ones that I was talking about, very predominantly white blonde women. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's Lindsay. Right. 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 Charlie's a ginger. Velma's not blonde. Willow's not. But 
I think all the other ones are. Lots of redheads in there. <laughs> well, I, I digress, Anders. Thank you. So, yeah. Can, but, can so Sabine actually being able to be a warrior and a brilliant mind at the same time sets her in a much smaller set, I think, of women characters, such as actually talking a little bit more on representation, Shuri from Black Panther, um, mm -hmm. who still absolutely yes. shows up with those gauntlets when it's time to fight. Mm -hmm. and is probably the smartest person in the NCU. I think she actually yeah. is smarter than Tony Stark. <laughs> and Bruce, right? She's And Bruce, Bruce. yeah. Um, then there's someone like, you know, Samantha Carter from the Stargate franchise. Mm -hmm. um, and I would say a little bit of a lesser extent, but still definitely up there, um, Dana Scully from oh, X-Files. Yeah. yeah. So she's that an MD. You, she's, she's I mean, one of the OGs, yeah, right? One of the OGs. Yeah. You know, it's yes. a little bit different because she's not really that like tech focused. She, right, 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 right. she came from a she came from a time before that was really a big thing. That's what I'm saying. I mean, Scully so. was one of the pivotal, and I think, and again, we're digressing a little bit, but because of Scully, more women got yes. into scientific roles. So it yes. really does flipping matter. matter. So, yes. Colleen, why don't you talk a little bit about that real world mm -hmm. context mm -hmm. then? Yep. Yep. Looking at the real world context. Uh, today, we all know the image of that tech bro, quote unquote tech bro. Uh, many people are surprised to learn that in the 1940s, the first wave of software coders were almost all women. Mm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. For a few decades, coding was viewed as the equivalent to like secretarial work, basically the busy work. Mm -hmm. So women were the natural choice to fill the role at that time. Then during the 60s and 70s, a combination of aptitude tests that emphasized traditionally masculine knowledge or skills, and then the recession, of course, that caused many women to either leave or not enter the workforce, the culture began to shift to men, and the men became more and more involved in software engineering. Uh, the pay for the jobs started to go up, of course, with the newfound prestige that the job had suddenly acquired. Just out of nowhere. Out of nowhere. Yeah. Oh my god, what happened? I love Colleen's facial expressions. If you're listening to this on the podcast, I strongly recommend you hop onto YouTube, but it's fine. Oh, man, yeah, they, mm, this gets me. I, I love this part. Mm. The origins of the profession were mostly forgotten or written over. Yeah, Another it, just, it was suddenly always, it was always a men's field. Like yes. It was <laughs> yes, always. So today, while this is rising for women, only 26% of tech jobs are held by women. And that's not even to begin to address the racial disparities in the tech right. sector. I've got some good stats here uh, from, thank you, Anders. According to a 2018 study from Brookings Institute, Black people only make up about 7.9% of the U.S. computer and math workforce, which is insane. Yeah. Um, Hispanic people are even lower at 6.8%. So it's to see just... a woman of color like Sabine, right, it's... It's insane. Like, I knew it was low, but when I actually saw those numbers, I was like, it's that low. Yeah. yeah. Which is very sad, which means it's not being geared towards them or pushed mm -hmm. as a possible career choice. Or once in, soon pushed out, yes. speaks the former yes. attorney. <laughs> mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. Even if you get access, you don't necessarily belong there. Right, right, mm -hmm. right. With the rest of the crew. So... Um, to see a woman of color like Sabine fall so naturally into the role of the engineer, who is also physically capable in the warrior role, is something that should really be not overlooked. Like, we have to look into this and get more characters like this yep, in future yep. works, because it's realistic. 
women can do these things. Right. And they, they do, do, do these things. Yeah. <laughs> Anders, do you have any additional thoughts on this? So, yeah. So just um, going a little bit more into um, some of the real world applications and the kind of stats and stuff behind this going to be a little anecdotal here. Um, I actually consult with a program. Um, it's called an early college opportunity program that's based on the uh, it's known as the P-TECH model. If you're interested, I highly recommend looking it up. It stands for Pathways and Technology. Um, it's geared towards being a partnership between industry, college, and high school. So students work, they start day one of their freshman year of high school working on their high school diplomas and associate's degree in information technology or like management systems or something. Wow. Mm -hmm. And they're looking, they're also trying to get some kind of an actual workplace internship. Um, IBM sponsors most of these programs. Oh, so you cool. end up trying to get like an actual internship with IBM and you can potentially complete all of that in your four years of high school. Oh, wow. Um, so get your foot in the door. Really you get your foot early. in the door very quickly. So two of the main tenets of that program are actually that it is presented at zero cost to the students so that associate's degree is paid for. So even if you know you finish and you decide you don't want to transition straight into the workforce, you have two years of college that have already been paid for. So you can actually enter a four-year program halfway done already. Um, and the other piece is actually that it is completely open enrollment. There's no admissions tests. There's no application fees. There's no nothing. You know, if there's limited slots, then you know, you might be in a lottery system. Um, but in our program that I work with, we've seen that, you know, removing those two types of barriers, mm -hmm. the demographics are much more reflective of the actual demographics of the, the society, yeah. the school as a whole. We have had almost 50% girls mm -hmm. in pretty much every cohort. I think we actually had one that was 51 or 52% girls versus boys and the oh. racial demographics reflect those of the school as a whole so, so removing it's kind of a rebellion barriers. yeah it's like a rebellion of its own right a rebellion yeah. of access um i was also i was having a talk recently um with someone actually who is retired from ibm um we were talking about you know ways to engage with young girls to get them interested in things like engineering mm -hmm. software development and they were saying that you have to kind of get them early thinking about engineering as solving problems rather right. than you're going to do science and math. You present it as you're just solving problems and they mm -hmm. are instantly more engaged yep. and more likely to get into it and remove that kind of cultural block that mm -hmm. we pretty much but impose on young girls. girls <laughs> can't do math or science. Exactly. So not only do we have to change that as a general concept, but just for now, just presenting it a little bit differently can get them in and then thinking, sounds like fun. I'm solving problems and puzzles. Yeah. yeah. I, I can't remember what the product is called, but I think someone, uh, a woman who had gra graduated from Stanford created like an electrical play set that you mm. can then mm. charge like ohms through it. So if you're watching this and you have... I don't care what gender your kids are. I mean, it's a great product to <laughs> build science. And if your kids are older, I would strongly suggest Challenge 24 cards. But I think that's fantastic, Anders, to help yeah. lift up diversity as much as Sabine does. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
Mm-hmm. All right. And with that, now we are going to move into Master and Apprentice. Yeah. We have some questions. very, very great questions surrounding Sabine Wren. And I'll kick us off with one that comes from Sean. Mm-hmm. Uh, we actually addressed this a little bit when we were recording just recently around the uh, Mandalorian Season 2 trailer. But he's, he wants to know, aside from Tia Sarkar, who obviously voiced Sabine on Rebels, who would we cast as a live-action Sabine? Now, I have mentioned previously that I'm still holding out hope for Bing Na Wen, just because I want her to be in everything. Yeah. But that's probably not going to happen. Um, and we talked a little bit about Tasha Banks um, with the Mandalorian trailer. Personally, though, I would really like a complete unknown. Yeah. Like a complete unknown quantity to be cast as Sabine. You know, no extra baggage with previous roles. No, ex- almost like no expectations going in, just letting them create something on their own. Right. And I think Star Wars itself is a good place to to find unknowns Mm -hmm. because it is such a high profile franchise. It's a good place to make that name for yourself and kind of make a splash. But what do you guys think? Yeah. Unknown is by far my preference. Like for actually any star Wars content, Mm -hmm. I actually prefer a complete unknown because for some reason in my mind, star Wars literally is in a galaxy far, far away. (laughs) So to see anyone like even who's the actor who plays Charlie from lost Dominic Monaghan. Yeah, Dominic Monaghan, like when yeah. I saw him, I was like, what are you doing? Like, you're not supposed to be here right now. He did <laughs> fine. In the JJ. Did fine. They both like drugs. Yeah, both his characters but like, like drugs. It's fine. <laughs> but like, I want I want an unknown. If if it has to be someone known, and especially if Sabine, if I, I'm assuming that we're going to see Sabine when she's older, right? Mm-hmm. That's what I'm assuming. Five mm-hmm. years older. But at the end of Rebels. But I kind of like the idea, and I don't know if you guys have seen Babysitter's Club. I really... I have not. Well, you should, because it is great. Um, I really liked Mamona Tamada, who played Mm -hmm. Katia Kishki, I think it is, in the Babysitter's Club. I absolutely Mm -hmm. loved her in that role. And I could really see her playing a sassy younger Sabine incredibly well. I don't know if she has any kind of fighting training. I feel like that's kind of important for me for Sabine. I just can't see someone who is stagnant in the role. I really want to see Sabine like in it. Um, But I could, I could see her playing the at least verbal role incredibly Mm -hmm. well. Yes. Mm -hmm. How about you, Colleen? Colleen. I, I talked about this a little bit in our last, <laughs> in our discussion about the Mandalorian trailer also. Um, I think, Sarah, you may have dropped a hint to Disney about one of our friends that should play the role, and her name is Connie Lau. Yeah. <laughs> so that out there. Make it happen. I could see, that, that, that could work. That could totally be work. an amazing scene. <laughs> yep. um, if Connie is otherwise engaged, I would suggest Jessica Henwick. I really love her. She was in Game of Thrones. She had a bit role in Star Wars. And she mm-hmm. was Colleen Wing in um, The Defenders and Iron Fist. Yes. And I think she would be fantastic. She's around I think the that right would be age. A good choice. She's got the background in martial arts. And I think she just has the right sassy attitude in order mm-hmm. to pull cool. off Sabine. If Sasha Banks is Sabine, I will accept that because I love Sabine and I would love to see her in live action. But yeah. Jessica would be my second choice after Connie. 
We'll see what happens. We'll see what happens. What about yeah. the the next question? So next, we touched on this, you know, today, Sabine coming to terms with her past, her very, very brief um, exploration of torturing Imperials. Uh, so a question I have for you guys, does this count as like a really traditional redemption arc playing out? And does Sabine really count as like a gray character? Because I think that's one of the things that we we are all really drawn to in characters is sure. that are not just so definitely black or white. Mm-hmm. Does Sabine count as gray? Colleen, why don't you mm. start it off? I don't know if she's a traditional gray character. Like she doesn't start out as being more antagonistic or more do for herself. She is that kind of in the Robin Hood mold at the point at the beginning of Rebels. And we don't get to see her really in her former role at the Academy or when she's right. a bounty bounty hunting with Ketso. We don't get to see that. So we start off thinking that she's a heroic character and then we find out about past experiences that mm. definitely push her more towards the gray side. But I don't think she's traditionally gray. Redemption arc, kind of like a mini one, just because she does basically atone for her actions even though there is the light torture that's fine and she gives up her power which i think is really that was yes to also look at like she knows that she isn't really going to be the one to lead the mandalorians she knows that it has to be bo katan yeah and mm-hmm. she's able to give up that power which is pretty incredible because it's the dark saber <laughs> it's like yeah, the no coolest deal. weapon in Star Wars. And yeah, she's yeah but she like, does come yeah. out of it in the end with an actual lightsaber. So, you know. Yes. Although she's just holding that. Just, yeah, just on loan. I yes. I have to agree full-heartedly with Colleen. I sometimes think that she can count and should be considered a great character, but definitely not a traditional great character. We just didn't see enough of that gray we saw like the laundry after it had already mm-hmm. been washed and she's still kind of washing off a little bit of the stains, yeah. if you will. Like mm-hmm. I, I thoroughly love Sabine as a character and I think they couldn't go where they would have needed to go in a, in a quote unquote children's show with Sabine mm-hmm. to show that great character transition. I almost consider it in a way, and obviously they're different characters, but Uncle Iroh from Atla, mm. where you... Oh, that's where, an interesting one. The darkness yeah. of the past. Yeah. Exactly, that, exactly. That live through. And if they did decide to explore that past a little bit more, I would actually hope that they actually, that they go all in on it. Yeah. I think that's... Like, show them... That's actually one of the issues... Sun. That's actually... I think that's actually one of the issues people had with, um, with Solo, is they didn't regress that Han Solo character back far enough. He was kind mm-hmm. of like already starting with that heart of gold that we all love. Mm-hmm. And it's like, no, no, you're supposed to show us how he got that. Exactly, exactly. Like it, it shouldn't <laughs> be so easy to love right. if that's mm-hmm. what the character actually is, but they're just not able to do that in Rebels. That's, that's yeah. my take on yeah. it. Yeah, I, I'd agree with that. All right, Sarah, that you want to give us our last one? Yeah, um... And so on a lighter and maybe juicier note to kind of end things a little tantalizing <laughs> until next time, Eva wants to know if Sabine is DTF Ezra. And if you don't know what DTF is, I strongly suggest that you look it up. 
And Colleen, I think you have a specific idea on exactly when and where you would want this shift to happen. If it did happen, mm -hmm. shouts to our fan fiction episode. <laughs> right, right. Um, I don't think so yet. I think ah, she misses yet. him. I think she misses him a lot. Like he's kind of her other half by the end of Rebels and they don't function as well apart as they would together. Yeah. And I think that realization when it hits them both when they're reunited is when they're both going to be like, hmm. Interesting. 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 <laughs> I mean, Ezra could pull an adult Aang from Avatar and Legend of Korra and just all of a sudden be a smoke show. <laughs> then it would be even better if Sabine kind of ignored him because... <laughs> Okay, okay, you I'm going to, me. can you explain what a smoke show is to me? And I oh. <laughs> am willing to lay down my pride for you to explain that to me. A total hottie. Just okay. like he emerges out of like a jungle or something with like longer hair. Can I say taller. that Ezra is already a smoke show? Oh, like, I think he's He's really too young cute. for me, but he's already yeah. a He's a cutie. Show. Like he is a cutie. Okay. But Sabine won't have seen him that way. She sees him as like yes. the brother figure or the friend figure. Yeah. She doesn't mm -hmm. see him in any sort of romantic way. But yeah. five years can change a person. Yeah. It's very, if any of you listeners mm -hmm. have, have read the story Aragon, it reminds me a little mm -hmm. bit of that possibly, depending on how things pan out, relationship transition. Yeah. But I am glad, this is one thing that I do want to bring up. I am glad that they didn't rely on the trope of relationships, especially yes. in season one or season two. What yes. a relief. Oh yeah, she yes. has no time for him in that yeah. way. She thinks he's annoying. What about, funny. what about you, Anders, before we close things out? So along the same lines, I think a real relationship is possible in the future. You know, I'm on record before um, how just like you said, I love the idea that they that Ezra and Sabine don't actually get together as a couple in the show. That yes. they just form this deep friendship. But you know, a little fun speculation here. Yeah. I, I could see that I could see this playing out. So Sabine and Ahsoka have been searching for Ezra and they find him with Thrawn. They have Who's that also like, very hot. They have that... <laughs> we can say it. It's true. It's true. Mm -hmm. We have that, like, that first reunion meeting. They walk up to each other. She hands over that lightsaber, and they're, like, locking eyes. And Ahsoka and Thrawn are just kind of looking back and forth at each other. And, like, uh, I guess we're, we're, we're going to give you guys a minute, maybe 20 minutes. Yeah. And walk out of the room. <laughs> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Perfect. Well, I think, I think now that I'm feeling a little <laughs> bit hot and heavy, ready for that fan fiction, that is probably where we should leave things for today. So thank you all so very much for being with us and come back again the next time when we continue our detailed dorky dive into Sabine Wren with her role as an artist and also make sure to check out our other videos because I'm super pumped. We have more videos, guys. You can check them all out. It's really exciting. So if you're watching us on YouTube, you better subscribe. And if you're listening to us on a podcast, you know that you can find us on iTunes, TuneIn, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. So please, because it is working, y'all, keep telling Nerdy Nights about us because it really does help. And it brings mm -hmm. your queen of queries a little bit of joy. 
especially during these <laughs> tough times. Mm -hmm. So thank you. Email us at bohemiangeekstudies at gmail.com if you have any questions, queries, theories, etc. And until next time, dark sabers up and keep those episodes streaming. Thanks, everyone. Bye, guys. Cheers. You guys, everybody. <laughs> <laughs>